0: Welcome back to the program. Today marks a sad anniversary and an anniversary that I think of a lot of our listeners will remember precisely where they were when they heard this news. It was 25 years ago that Kurt Cobain killed himself, or at least we believe that today marks that anniversary. It wasn't until a few days later that the body was discovered in Seattle and the news became widely known. And decades after his guttural wrath seduced Generation X, the Nirvana frontman become it remains a talisman for the young and the disaffected the world over. Is his music is it fairly uh, put in the canon of music? Is, is his suicide does it elevate his music because of the way he died? I mean, you think about Jimi Hendrix, you think about Janis Joplin, even Mac Miller, for example, quite recently died, rapper, uh, his album Swimming. It was really well received. It came out posthumously. I, I've been listening to it. And I didn't really listen to Mac Miller before. But then he was in the news, and I listened to his music, and, and, and now there it is. So let's talk about Kurt Cobain. Let's talk about his music. And to do that, I am pleased to welcome Alan Cross, who is the host of the ongoing History of New Music, and he is here in studio. Alan, great to see you.
1: I was on the air that day. I remember it very, very well. Kurt Cobain was our last real rock star. And for a generation, uh, his death had the same resonance as the death of John Lennon and the death of Elvis Presley.
0: It was a very big deal when it happened. Now, I remember distinctly, I was a journalist working in Vancouver at the time in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I got a call from my newsroom, of course, this is back in a day when you know you 'd have a newsfeed on your phone and the, and I got the call. there was a body found you got to come in you got to do this story you 're the guy you you, you do the story and the overwhelming response from my colleagues who were of the generation where Lenin was there like that was the shock to them. they utterly denied that this man was a talisman for a generation has that was it was it true at the time, or has it been made true in the years after? No, you have to understand that
1: uh, when Nevermind came out in uh, September of 1991, it marked the beginning of a massive sea change away from Baby Boomer Rock into Generation X Rock. And uh, grunge was this alternative music, this genre with training wheels. And what brought everybody into this new universe, which had been evolving in parallel with mainstream rock, into the mainstream. And Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love and Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell, all these people became the faces of this generation. And it it was a very sudden, very dramatic shock in the rock and roll zeitgeist, away from uh, the Beatles, the Stones, uh, Led Zeppelin, Leonard Skeeter, and all those bands from the 60s and 70s to this new music of the 1990s. And uh, Kurt was, was seen leading the way because he, there was something about his voice, something about his appearance, something about his tortured artist. It was his
0: attitude as his well. His
1: attitude, there was a very punk rock thing. It there was. was a very anti-star thing.
0: I want to I think, because this, this lyric sticks with me from In Utero. So he releases the, the big follow-up to the massive record, Nevermind, and the lead song off that, Serve the Servants. Hmm. Teenage Angst has paid off well. Yeah. But now I'm bored
1: and old. He did. Well, Kurt wanted to be a star, but at the same time, I don't think he understood exactly what that meant. And when he didn't quite realize exactly how much his life was going to change, he thought he was probably going to be a star, the equivalent of, I don't know, maybe Joey Ramone, but not this person that he had become or had been made into. And uh, people forget that when In Utero came out two years after. Never mind. It was a bit of a stiff. It only sold 186,000 copies in its first week in, in the stores.
0: And n- Nirvana as a band was essentially done at the point he killed
1: him. Well, we, people were very tired of, of, of Kurt and his moaning and the whole drama with Courtney and everybody's attention. And but more Dave of,
0: Grohl at the time was already making a, 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 his own record. No,
1: he was in the background. He was making records in secret.
0: Yes. But he was not.
1: He had, there is one Dave Grohl song. On, uh, as part of the Nirvana canon, a track called Marigold and it's buried at the end of a, the CD single for Heart Box. That is the only thing that Dave Grohl ever got to contribute to Nirvana.
0: Dave Grohl tells a story about uh, playing one of his songs that came out on the Foo Fighters first record and playing it for, uh, Kurt when Kurt was in the bathtub and then Kurt loved it so much he, he got out dripping naked and hugged him.
1: Yeah, there was a, um, after a while, there was a real rivalry between the two of them because Kurt had this, he was on stage with Dave every night and he would hear Dave doing the vocals, uh, the harmonies. I was like, wait a second, this, this guy, maybe he's just a little bit more than a drummer.
0: Not only is he perhaps, you know, the greatest drummer since Neil Peart, but uh, also has gone on to, you, you talk about Kurt being the last uh, rock star. Mm. Don't you think Dave had took that mantle? Not,
1: I, I think if we have put everything into context and, and, and look at the way rock stars used to be, with this air of mystery around them, uh, no, the the internet came along and destroyed all that mystery, and that was part of what made Kurt Kurt. We only knew what we could gather from, you know, Vanity Fair magazine or Rolling Stone or alternative press or or what we heard from friends or what we could glean from the songs or from the liner notes. Uh, in, in in and then the internet comes along and everything, the dynamics of everything begin to change. So while there are still rock stars, I mean, we're talking about Lennon-level rock stars, McCartney-level rock stars. I think he was the last one.
0: You know, there's a there's a line in a Bruce Coburn song about uh, every psycho killer has his own magazine these days. And I always think about that in the way that now, you know, you can find an identity in music in any level. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s, you really only had what the major labels were giving you. Well,
1: they were the cultural gatekeepers. There were three major cultural gatekeepers in the 90s. the record stores, the record labels, and radio stations. And to a certain extent, uh, the video channels. And they acted as the filters, getting rid of all the crap, so you only got what they let through. Today, it's a whole lot different because everybody is the wrong music director. You can listen to whatever you want from whatever era, whenever you happen, whenever you want. want. It's not the same. Consensus, and this is another thing going back to this idea of, of rock stars, Back then, I'll give you an example. When I was in grade ten, there were thirty people in my class. Of those thirty people, two of them were country music fans, three of them were pop fans, the other twenty-five were Kiss fans. Because this, the radio told us that Kiss was the greatest band in the world. The magazines told us that Kiss was the greatest band in the world. Yeah. Uh, the record stores racked Kiss up front, so they had to be the greatest band. They so had well. the posters. They had all the all years. that stuff. Yes, so the army, the consensus that was created by the cultural gatekeepers helped create that as 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 a, as a kiss as these giant rock stars. Same thing happened with Kurt in the pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-email days. It, it they 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 the machine declared that Kurt that Nirvana was something, and it just so happened that everybody agreed. Alan, we're
0: running out of time. I got to get to uh, Richard with traffic. Put. Kurt Cobain and Nirvana's music in context for me, for this audience that might say, I will never listen to Nirvana and I don't like them.
1: Kurt was one of those rare, one in a generation, maybe one in every two generation voices that was able to completely encapsulate everybody's hopes, fears, and anger with a single scream.
0: Alan Cross. Always great to talk to you, Alan. Alan spells his name correctly, (laughs) A-L-A-N, and he's also the host of the Ongoing History of New Music. Let's get a little nirvana as we head off to break here, uh, just before we go to traffic. When we come back, we're going to be talking not about music, but about a fortnight and why Prince Harry has now waited in. Will he have to go with all apologies? But first, Richard Martin... He's got a howl and a scream, a punk rock version of your traffic update with Richard Martin. It is 1247. Thank you so much for spending some time on the Mighty Radio program. My name is Alan Carter, and I am hosting this program. I'm here every weekday, noon to one, before I head up to Don Mills, and I do my other job where I put a lot of makeup on with a trowel. Uh, and then I anchor the news beginning at 5.30. You can watch that on Global News, myself and Farah Nasser, and, of course, that simulcast right here on this radio station beginning at 6 o'clock. What we're going to talk about in our next segment is something I talk about quite a bit, and that is Fortnite, the video game Fortnite, which I understand the kids tell me is lit.
1: I don't think it miss what you think it means.
0: Is Am I saying that wrong? It's not lit? Is it on fire? Is it I light? Don't... I don't, I just, I'm trying to keep up with this. Every couple of days, my son comes up from the basement. He's 10, you know, because he's down there in the basement watching who knows what on the YouTube, on the tubage of the U. And he comes upstairs and he's like, Dad, I'm going to play some memes for you. It's a meme, Dad. Everything's a meme now. No, I, I don't, I don't, half the time he's talking, I don't know what he is talking about. He's using language that I don't understand. And I understand that this probably happened to my dad at some point, too, when I started talking about, who knows, Dungeons & Dragons or some dorky thing. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Prince Harry has now waded into this whole thing, this Fortnite thing. Have you heard this? So Prince Harry, uh, he was recently at a British YMCA. Uh, and in a, what he said is he called the game, this Fortnite game, quote, more addictive than drugs and alcohol, and said not only should parents not allow their kids to play it, but it shouldn't be allowed at all in the UK. Here are some of the kids after the uh, visit from the Prince Harry, Prince Harry, who was clothed, I believe, this time, unlike remember that remember that thing back in Vegas where he was just standing there nudie cupping the old royal jewels? Remember that? Uh, I tried to forget it. Well, it's burned into my brain. Prince Harry, here are some kids talking about what Prince Harry said to them.
2: So basically, came over, talked yeah. to us, and he was um, talking to us about, and he, um, and Erin asked him about Fortnite, and then, oh right, does Prince Harry play Fortnite? No, no, he doesn't no, no, he, he thought that he did, Erin thought that he did, and we right. asked them, he was like, but, and then he asked how old we are, you? and we said that we were eight, he said, you guys shouldn't really play Fortnite. Yeah, you should, shouldn't really play Fortnite at eight, at I think i probably agree true. with Harry.
0: All right, so if you're an 8-year-old, according to Hank, you should not be playing uh, Fortnite. Quote from Harry, where is the benefit of having it in your household, unquote, he said of the game. The game's got 250 million players around the world. Quote, it is created to addict an addiction to keep you in front of the computer for as long as possible. It is so irresponsible. Mike Dodd is executive producer at This Week in Geek.net. He joins us every once in a while. We've talked about Fortnite before. Mike, is it addictive? Is it designed to addict you?
2: In my opinion, not really. Just, I mean, it's no more addictive than like any other video game. I mean, I guess you could argue the Battle Royale component, basically, you versus 100, 100 the people, maybe the, the, the skill. That's competitive, but addictive? I'm not so
0: sure on that. Here's another quote from Prince Harry. Quote, parents have got their hands up. They don't know what to do about it. It's like waiting for the damage to be done. Epic Games has not actually responded to all of this. And I can tell you, Mike, as a parent, I agree with him. My, My hands are up. I am at my wits end. I have not got a clue how to pry my kids' hands off of the controllers when this thing is on.
2: Get them better games? What? I mean, see, here's my thing. I love, Hell, here,
0: Here's my Pong love, from back in the day. Try that.
2: <laughs> I love video games. I'm obviously a big video gamer myself. But there are better games than Fortnite. The thing about Fortnite is it, it has a very low entry fee to get in. The game itself is free. You only pay for cosmetics you can get them in other games like apex legends which is also free and arguably a better game it's just like fortnite is overwatch a better game oh god yes i think so anyway plus it's a fantastically designed universe there's actually lore and stuff like that yeah but story to it but the
0: thing i have because my kids got both uh overwatch uh it seems a little bit more realistic and a little bit more violent than uh fortnite am i right
2: Not really. I mean, there might be the odd splatter of blood, but you're not seeing people blown in the chunks like like in Mortal Kombat or Doom or something like that. No, I'd say it's very cartoony, uh, acceptable violence. I mean, Fortnite, people are still getting shot. You just don't see them once again getting chunked. I don't think it means what you think it means. Chunked? Well, blown into pieces. <laughs> you don't see anything visceral, basically. I mean, it's Overwatch, it's more cartoony. It's, I mean, you've got a hamster in a giant hamster ball as a as, as a playable character. How ridiculous is that?
0: Yeah, except for when Buddy splatters all over. And then, I mean, it, you still, you, you're pickaxing people to death.
2: Yeah, but you're also pickaxing them to death in a giant unicorn horn. I've seen ridiculous, ridiculous pickaxes in that game. And it's meant to be cartoony, and it's also because the game is designed to be accessible for teenagers and kids, they've to specifically toned down that violence so they can get it in the hands of younger players. And in my opinion, that's okay because you don't see anything explicit. Obviously, you know, violence is still violence, but. It is what it is, right?
0: You know, Mike, I, I, I've heard people describe you as having the emotional intelligence of an 8-year-old, But uh, so maybe you can identify, then, whether or not 8-year-olds should be playing this game.
2: I don't think a battle royale game for an 8-year-old is, ne- is necessarily a good idea, simply because you're going to instill in them over-competitiveness right away. If you want to give them a, a competitive drive, Put them into a traditional sport. Make them good at maybe at math. Hockeys. Yeah, math or <laughs> hockey, or as you mentioned, <laughs> you're not a parent. You
0: don't know anything. Come on, hey, hey, put down the Fortnite and maybe do some of this
2: calculus. Hey, you know what? i math, and it's fun. Just saying. Um, but yeah, like there has to be more parenting involved, in the ki- and the parents have to be knowing what's kind of going on in the video game scene. I mean, you can have video games in your household that aren't super competitive. I mean, you've had your Mario's, you've got Skyrim, you have so many different adventure titles out there. Yeah, but the that... kids only want to play Fortnite. I mean, you keep talking about giving them another game, but that's the, the only thing they want to do is Fortnite 24-7. I can't get my kid off it. Well, you know what? Fortnite's eventually going to die anyway, because people like Ninja, one of the biggest streamers in the world, is starting to get off of Fortnite because they're not happy with the way the game's currently going. So I think, give it another year or two, Fortnite will be just another passing fad. Ninja? I don't think it miss what you think it
0: means. That like, guy, like, in a, in a black, out in pajamas?
2: No. <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. He's one of the biggest... Twitch streamers in the world, and a lot of people want, like to watch him play Fortnite. Yeah,
0: I don't think I miss what you're thinking. I, I got Twitches right now, Mike Dodd. Thank you, executive producer from this weekend geek. We got to get going. Thank you so much. All right, uh, that is the Fortnite. Uh, I I feel better. I feel a little bit better. I, this I have been cantankerous. I've been a little bit grumpy. I'm in a bad
1: mood, and I'm going to take it out
0: on you. Well, I have for the last hour, and for those of you who stuck with us, I do appreciate it. I feel better now. Uh, And now I am going Keep your
2: fried bologna hole shut.
0: (sighs) All right. Okay, fine. We're out of time. I understand it's time for me to shut up. Join me on the air, 5.30 tonight on Global, 6 p.m., simulcast on this radio show, on this radio station, pardon me, and then this weekend, 5.30 p.m., join me for Focus Ontario, which uh, without hyperbole, is the greatest political affairs show in the history of television. I'm back again on Monday. Have yourself a great weekend. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.